morning. Good morning. I'm here to introduce our uh, speaker. We get to have Billy come up here from Crew. Come on up, Billy. And Billy works with Crew and uh, is just a, you know, I wanted to introduce, uh, I don't even know if you, if he remembers, Billy like sat me down and talked to me 15 years ago. You remember. <laughs> I was not gracious. Uh, I was not following the Lord, but um, I wanted to, we get the blessing of hearing from his perseverance, and we get the blessing of hearing from many years now of speaking to dumb kids like myself and hearing the words that the Lord has put in his heart. And so uh, let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. We worship you and we glorify you. Lord, you are good and you are wonderful. You deserve all praise, all glory, all honor. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would be here in this moment. Lord, that you would speak through Billy. Lord, that you would put your words in his heart, and that out of that would overflow into us. Lord, that our hearts would be soft to receive the word that you have thrown out there. That you would grow it in our hearts. Lord, and no matter how long it takes, Lord, hopefully not 15 years, but Lord, that you would let it sink in and grow and it would take root and that when hard times come, Lord, it would not be burned away. Lord, that birds would not take it away. Lord, but instead it would take root and be there in our hearts. So Lord, I thank you so much for Billy. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to hear from him today and hear from you through him. And so Lord, we just ask for softness of hearts in your holy precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Man, not a dumb kid at all. I totally remember. And man, thank you, Danny. Those are, those are very gracious words. Uh, that is a great joy of what I get to do working with college students, working with crew, mainly at Boise State, um, which is why I know some in the room, which is fun, extra fun to get to come here. The bummer is I was actually praying that I wouldn't be here because the reason is because Bren uh, hurt his back and feels lousy. So I was like, man, I just wanted him to, to be here. But he, he demonstrated his wisdom and tapped out Friday. He's like, man, I, I can't hardly even move. Um, so pray for Bren. Um, I, I continue to pray for him. Um, but really fun to get to be here with you guys. You have a, a great church. I have been here. I know Bren. He's a friend of mine. Um, our, our families are growing in friendship. And so I, I'm constantly pointing people here, students and otherwise, just because this is a great uh, part of the body of Christ here in Boise. So you're very blessed to have the leadership that you do. I wanted to give you just a, since many of you don't know me, a, a quick snapshot of a bit of my life, which is mainly my family. So here's a picture of my family, um, my wife Angie, four little kids, and that is pretty much what life looks like all the time. It's like... <laughs> look good, feel good, smiling, it's just, yeah, no, no, like any of you who have been around kids, especially for a photo shoot, like what it took to get that photo, hundreds of pictures to get one, right, that you can put on a Christmas card or something, but love these guys, that's my family, um, I, now I want to go back almost six years, 2013, August 2013, here's another picture, and this one uh, is in our minivan, and with crew for the summers, we'll travel most summers somewhere, uh, and in this case, we were in Colorado. 
We'd been there for like six weeks, and everything's loaded in, in the minivan, and we were on our way home. And so by this time, pretty worn out, driving home from Colorado with these three little kids. So Addison was one, Cooper was two, Parker was four, and they're all stuffed in there. You can kind of see if you look for body parts, stuffed with all our stuff for the whole summer. And we had been, we had took a stop in Twin Falls, and then we were on the final stretch. Uh, it's, it should be about an hour 45 to get to Boise, to our house. It took much longer. It was just one of those trips where one thing after another is happening. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, we're 15 minutes down the road, and Parker, the four-year-old, is like, I got to pee, I got to pee. And we know he can't hold it. We pull over on an exit. He's peeing on the side of the road, load him back up. Few more minutes down the road, I'm gonna puke, and he's got a weak stomach. We know it's true. We're like, no, 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 hold it. Pull over. We have a that. See that red bucket? That's part of the puke kit because of him. And so we're cleaning up the puke. We're like, good grief. We just got to get home. We keep driving. It just keeps on happening, right? We finally pass Micron, and I'm usually like, oh, praise God, we're almost there. In my mind, I'm going, we're there. We're home. We made it. No, false. We hadn't made it yet. Parker goes, it, what's that smell? Like, I don't know, whatever. What's that? He just won't stop. What's Addison smells? I'm like, yeah, she's probably, we'll clean her up when we get home. And then finally, Angie, we're to the flying Y. She turns around and looks. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. No, no, pull over. I was like, what? No, pull over. No. She's like, pull over now. I was like, whatever. Okay. Pull off kind of by the mall there and get out and go back, open up the sliding door. And, and I'm, I was an engineering major, took physics, but I'm looking at this scene. I'm like, how is this physically possible? She had had a blowout, and it had gone everywhere. The car seat, her clothes, up the car chair. I was just like, how is this even physically possible? And what the heck is happening on this trip? Like, and so we were, it took forever to clean that up. We had to take her out. Finally, we're like, okay, we just need some dinner. Let's just get home and eat. What's close to our house? Taco Bell. Fine. Taco Bell is close to our house. Let's go to Taco Bell. We order through the drive-thru. We leave in the drive-thru, and Parker goes, I'm going to puke. We're like, no. All over himself again. And she says, pull over. I said, no, we're not pulling over. We're going home. We're two minutes away. So we get home. Garage door opener won't work. It was like, we can't even get in our house. Finally get in our house, and we get Parker cleaned up. We get everyone in. We're like, let's just eat our tacos. Open the bag, and half the order's not there. It's like, perfect. That's it. Like, that, that was just like one of those days, right? You, you've all been there. It's like, what else is going to happen? Now, that, that's a pretty, we, we could kind of laugh about that. It was not that serious, right? Um, which, is, which is thankful. But sometimes that can cause you to spiral down, right? You just get in a mood. Uh, that can really affect you. Um, but I, I want you to actually think about something right now. You're not going to like this, actually, so sorry in advance. I want you to think of a time when you were wrestling with something much, much harder than that, a time in your own life, and it could be now. That's why this is not fun to think about. But a time that you, maybe you were wrestling with some fear, potentially, or anxiety, and in particular, maybe a time where you were wondering about God, and does he even care about what I'm going through? Maybe you're just wrestling with him. What, where is God in the midst of this? I'm going through this thing that's super hard, and I'm not even sure what to think about God. 
it, I think, will be helpful if you can get something actually from your life and your mind. And I'm taking a risk in even having you think about that because what I'm not suggesting is that I can just solve that this morning. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not expecting that, but I do think that the passage we're going to look at has something to say about that. It's a historical account of a day where Jesus and his disciples were not only just having a really bad day, but they were wondering if Jesus even cared. And Jesus' response to them, at first glance, is really shocking, to me anyway, uh, but it's really helpful in seeing how we should respond to these situations that can cause fear and doubt. Um, So let me pray, and then we'll dive into the passage. Lord, I I thank you uh, that we can just be here together um, in a dry place on a rainy day, maybe parties going on later, but would you help us just to focus this morning on what you have to say to us related to what we're maybe going through right now, something from the past, something we may encounter in the future. Uh, Would you speak to us by your spirit through your word? Do pray for Bren right now. Just pray that you would heal up his back quickly. Uh, Would you guard the Angelos family and this church as well, Lord? We we love you. invite you just to speak right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you don't have a Bible, you can throw up your hand. There are some Bibles they can give you if you would like one. Ushers will bring one around. Um, We're going to look today at Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. And just to set the scene, what's been going on, Jesus has been teaching uh, by the Sea of Galilee and um, here's a picture of the sea. This is where he's been teaching. Not a bad view while you're listening to some good teaching. Um, I actually got to visit the Sea of Galilee, uh, which is a great, great privilege to get to do that, and pretty profound to stand there and look out over this sea and go, wow, these stories happened right there. Like somewhere within my view, it really happened. Like he was This all happened here. So he's been teaching um, things like the parable of the soils on this day. And it's been going all day. And so it's been a long day. And the sun is starting to set. And you've you've had long days, right? Where you wake up and you just start going in the morning and you go, go, go all day. By the end of the day, when you maybe get home, what do you want to do? You just kind of want to relax, right? Maybe just go straight to bed. Sometimes I'm like, I don't even want to relax. I want to go to sleep. You're tired. So I think good chance this is how Jesus and his disciples are feeling. So what does Jesus propose? Hey guys, let's just go find a nice grassy spot, sleep. No, here's what he says. Mark 4, 35. He says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Let's go across to the other side. The other side of what? The sea. The Sea of Galilee. So I'm jumping in. We'll pick that up in just a second. But you got to think about what they might be thinking and feeling at this point. Like, are you kidding me? Can we just go in the morning? we got to go now? Like, this is not a short trip, really. The Sea of Galilee is 12 miles by 6 miles. So the shortest shot is at least 6 miles. And I don't know if you've ever tried to go in some ancient form of a boat, probably not, right? I tried to go across a lake once in a raft. Bad idea. If you've ever, don't do it. It, It's not very, very functional, but like I know what it is like to try to row and row and row forever, seemingly. So they're going to go across the sea at night, and here's a kind of a picture of the boat, actually, is what it was like. This boat they found um, 
The one before that, they actually found a boat. So we know pretty close to what it was like. This is called the Jesus boat or the Galilee boat. It was buried in the mud at the Sea of Galilee, and they discovered it, um, I think, in the 80s. And it was preserved. And so it's about 27 feet long. And the next one is what a restored one looks like. So this is probably pretty close to what they were in. Maybe they had a sail. Maybe they were rowing. Probably a combination. But imagine this. They're going to go out at night. And the other factor, I think, some of them were fishermen, right? So they knew about this sea. And the one thing you would know is you don't really want to go out at night because in the dark, you may not see a storm coming, and it can hit quick. You can have a storm just come up on you, and it can be incredibly violent and extremely dangerous. So the, these fishermen, they know that. Like, you don't do this, Jesus. But what do they say? It's a rabbi, right? Rabbi says, let's go across the sea. Aye, aye, captain. We jump in the boat, and we go. So let's pick it back up. Uh, he says, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, with him, took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So sure enough, the storm, storm hits. Um, I'm sure they didn't tell, you, tell him I told you so, but they may have been thinking it. But it gets worse and worse and worse. The boat's filling. And they're literally thinking, we could die. Like, we're, we're on the verge of dying. We could capsize here. And where is Jesus? He's sleeping. Here, here's the captain of the ship asleep on a cushion. And I think, you know, if you try to put yourself in the situation and and wonder, like, what you, might you be feeling and thinking? One is just fear, right? Like, I, we could seriously about die right here. But then this conflict of looking at Jesus somehow sleeping through this. Like, one, props to Jesus. That's, that's pretty impressive to sleep through a storm like this. I'm a light sleeper, so I'm always impressed by people who can sleep through anything. Apparently, Jesus, he was wiped out from that day. But is it any wonder that they ask and wonder in their hearts, do you even care? Because the question was, do you care that we are perishing? Do you care that we're dying, Jesus? Do you even care? I, growing up, I had a, a pretty, pretty great life in many ways. I, I did not encounter many storms, so to speak. Uh, one thing that we dealt with culminated when I was 15, but it had to do with my youngest sister, Katie. So I have a, a sister, Carrie, a couple years younger, and then Katie, about seven years younger than me, and she, when she was maybe a year and a half, had her routine vaccinations, caused severe epilepsy, and so she dealt with ongoing seizures. Um, she had to wear a helmet because she would smash her head and, and have no warning. She, um, my parents tried everything to try to help her get better. They'd take her to every doctor. She tried every drug imaginable. Um, went to Johns Hopkins, tried their latest cutting-edge stuff. Nothing worked. Brain surgery in Minnesota, nothing helped her. And so that was a challenge, but still, it was like I, I was in a good church, had a loving family. We, we navigated that. But I'll never forget this day in the summer, um, 1996, August 12th. I was getting up in the morning, getting ready in the bathroom, and my mom came in 
to the house, and I saw her, and she was just frantic. And immediately I knew something was very, very wrong because I'd never seen my mom like this. And she was just, she couldn't even get her words out. And all I made out was Katie and the backyard. She's pointing in the backyard. So I ran out there. And on the grass next to the kiddie pool was my dad doing CPR on Katie. And she had had a seizure in the pool, had six inches of water, but she caught her breath and inhaled water and, and was unconscious. He's doing CPR. And so I'm like, what do I do? My older sister had called 911, so I went out front to usher the paramedics back. And while they're working on her, my family circled up just to pray, and we're praying. And I had this sense, like, I think it's, it's going to be fine. Like, this is crazy, but it's going to be fine. Tonight at dinner, we'll be talking about, like, wow, what a crazy day. But it didn't go that way. We, we ended up going to the hospital, and I was 15, but it began to sink in, like, this, this may not turn out well. And it was just surreal. It was like in a movie. You know, you, you get put in this waiting room, and the doctors will periodically come back. We're working on her. We're working on her. And then it, then it happened, just like the movies. They come back, and the doctor says, we, we couldn't save her. Mom bursts out screaming. Me and my dad are just like, stunned silence. And I remember driving home that day in our minivan, Twin Falls, Idaho, just looking out the road at the businesses going by and people driving around. And in, they're just going about their day, obviously. But in my mind, I'm, I just wanted the whole world to stop and, and take notice. In, in my heart, I was like, do you realize, of course they didn't, my sister just died. Like, I wanted everything to just stop because my world was not right. But everyone else was going on as if, if everything was fine, nothing had happened. And so I realized that I was at a, a critical point. I had grown up in church, but I, I was beginning to face what was going on inside. And I think it's natural in a time like that, a scenario like that, to wonder what in the world is going on. What is going on with God? You know, just, just the thoughts in your mind could be like, God, what in the world? What, what were you doing when she was playing in the pool? Why didn't you stop that? What were you doing when my dad's doing CPR on her? What were you actually doing? When we're circled up praying that you would bring her back. Not to mention the years and years that we have prayed. Hundreds of people have prayed in our church for her. I've read the stories. I know you can heal people like that. And I believe it. But what in the world, God? What, where are you? What are you even doing when we're praying these prayers? Do you even care? Do you care what we're going through? I think that's a pretty natural way to respond. And the disciples are in this boat going, we're about to die. You're asleep, Jesus. Do you even care that we are dying? We're perishing. Do you even care? I think that's a fair question. So then it's really interesting to look at how Jesus responds to him. He wakes up, and let's read it. Let's read what he, he does. It says, verse 39, he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and he said to the sea, peace, be still. 
and the wind, and in Matthew and Luke, the waves ceased, and there was a great calm. And then he turns to them, and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So I heard this story a lot growing up. I read it, and I always just kind of imagined this scene. Jesus looks out, and he says, peace be still. And, and it just kind of gradually, over several minutes, kind of calms down. And it could have happened that way. It, it really could have. But the more I studied this passage, I thought, I wonder if it was different, actually. And I, you, you could kind of think of it like this way. My kids, um, I came up with a new word to describe my kids. I call them the Mogi, my last name is Moganson, the Mogi Cirknado. So it's kind of like a three-ring circus, dun, 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 all this activity dun, dun, that gets run over by a tornado. It's a circnado. Like that's just my family. It's, it's just lost madness, right? Sometimes it, I just would like need to say something, or maybe it's dinner time. Like, hey guys, quiet down. Hey, listen. And it's just and they're just running, jumping off furniture, tackling each other, just yelling. I'm like, hey, and finally, if they don't hear me, at some point I go, stop. Quiet! Now picture it in your mind. They go, they freeze, and it's instant silence. And I have their full undivided attention, right? So now picture the boat. Waves are crashing over. It's dark. They can't see. They've got, it's about to sink. They're freaked out. They think they're literally going to die. And Jesus stands up, and he looks at the waves and goes, Peace! Be still! And in my mind, I go, what if it just went, and the rain is just like gone, and the wind is gone, and the waves go, and it's like this picture, like a glassy sea. If you have a good imagination, you can imagine that. I get chills. I'm like, oh, that would scare the crap out of me. Seriously, I would, I would, be, I would be freaked out before this happens, it says they were scared, right? Of what? What were they scared of? They're going to die. The waves, the storm, like they're going to sink. Now it says they were filled with what? With great fear at what? Jesus. And what they asked the question, who is this? Who in the world? Because they knew scripture, right? They knew someone who could do that. But who was it? Psalm 65, 7, you who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves. Who's that? That's Yahweh. Psalm 89, 9, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. They knew someone could do that, but now they're going, wait, hold on. Oh, and it's freaking them out. When they see that happen, they're going, who is this? And, and the answer to that, really, I think, is the key to understanding why Jesus said what he said. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Uh, which we know has to do with trust. Do you still have no faith, no trust? Why are you so afraid? If he was just a rabbi, and they knew he was more than just a rabbi at this point, but... They're still kind of sorting out who is he real life. He's just a rabbi. Those are dumb questions. 
Why are we afraid? Oh, I don't know, Jesus. We're about to die. Maybe that's why we're afraid, right? Like, that's a silly question. On the other hand, if he is God, well, who made these waves? Who made the water? Who made the wind? He's in the boat. The very one who made this stuff is in the boat with all control and power over all of it. They didn't know that fully, and that makes all the difference. And not just that, that he's this all-powerful creator, but because of what kind of character he has, right? What was the thing they were wrestling with in the midst of it? Do you even care? Do you even care? They still needed to, to understand who this really was and the level of his care for them. Of course he cared. They were just still sorting that out. We have the advantage of looking back on this after the greatest demonstration of his care for them and for all of us, which was what? Death on the cross. We, we already know that. They didn't yet. So I think we've got to be gracious to them. Like, they're sorting this out. We get to look back on it and go, whoa. Like, he has demonstrated fully his care for us. He has shown us in dying on our behalf on the cross and conquering death, raising from the dead, who he really is. And so, for me, as I look at this text, the takeaway for me is, is that the better I understand who God really is, the more I'll trust him. I think the two go hand in hand. The less I really know who God is, the less I have reason to trust him. But the more I know who he is, really, the more I'll trust him. And I think if they had had a, another do-over after the resurrection, if they were in another scenario like this, I don't think they would have asked, do you care? Because they would have known. I think it would have been reasonably like, what do we do? They're still, we're dying. What do we do? We trust you. We know you could, you could calm it. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? Some of you may be thinking, yeah, but what? he calmed that storm. What if he doesn't just calm my storm in an instant? What if he hadn't for them? What if he had let them die? We know other stories like that, right? Lazarus, he, he was a, hey, Lazarus is sick. Come heal him. Nah, can chill for a few days until he dies. Intentionally. It's like, what in the world? We don't understand always what God is up to. Why does he allow what he allows? Don't know. Oftentimes we never get to know. And you could still say, well, okay, yeah, Jesus still, did he care about Lazarus even though he let him die? Yeah. Was he still trustworthy? Yeah. But he rose him from the dead, so that doesn't count. Fair, fair question. What if, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't just solve it? When my sister died, I had to face that. I knew these stories. I grew up in church. I knew this stuff, but I was faced with, well, what am I going to do now? Because I really have, we have prayed and prayed and prayed, and this is what happened and all of my intellectual right answers, kind of the Sunday school answers, the church answers, they were put to the test. And my greatest fear had always been someone close to me dying. And God let it happen. And now I was like, what, what do I do? And how do I respond to God in this? Do I really believe this stuff or should I just be done with it? You know, if that's what God's going to do, maybe I'll just be done. And I, I mean... Let's figure some other way out. But 
Thankfully, all those things I had been taught about God came to mind. I was like, well, okay, what is, what's actually true about God? Does he care about, did he care about Katie? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I think he did. did. Does he care about me and my family right now? I think he does. I have no reason to think he doesn't actually care. I don't get it. I really don't understand. I wish it had been different, but... I wrestled through those things that I, I knew were taught about God and, and that he had shown me throughout my life were true. And I give him all the credit for actually being able to believe it. I think he just was gracious to me to let me believe those things that I had heard were true about him in that moment, to believe that he really is good. He never does wrong. He's always trustworthy, even if I don't get why he allows what he does. And from that day on, I mean, the more I've gotten to know God, the more he has helped me to trust him, despite what I'm going through. And I think the same was true of those disciples. They experienced that. They got more and more a picture of who he was. And after the resurrection, it didn't get easier for them, right? It got harder. What did they face? Intense persecution. They went through hard, hard stuff to the point of death for most of them. But yet, somehow they were able to be full of hope, full of peace in the midst of that, you know, like singing hymns in jail and just stuff that didn't make sense to the world, but it turned the world upside down because they said, now this is real. He is real, and the world needs to know this. The world needs to know how much he loves them and cares for them. So for us, I mean, we're going to face more storms, right? We're, we're going to. Um, if you, Maybe you're in it right now. Um, if you're not, awesome. Praise God. But it will come for all of us. And so the question is just how will we respond in that? Whether it's a big thing or a small thing, how will we respond? Will we kind of just depend on ourselves to just get through it? Or will we be full of fear and anxiety? Or will we trust him? I know those aren't just simple things, but... If it is true that the better we get to know God, the better we'll be able to trust him, I think part of it involves just continuing to get to know him more and more and more. And so for me, that's why um, growing up, reading my Bible was just like, oh, that's the Christian thing to do. Now it's like, no, I desperately need to be reminded daily of who God is because I don't know what I'm going to face today. And I'm going to need to know what is true of him I'm going to need to be close to him, and I'm going to be, that's, I mean, talking with him throughout the day. There's that aspect, and then it's like, I don't want to go through this alone. I need others. I need others to be there for me when I'm going through this, and I want to be there for them when they're going through it. If you're not in a storm right now, someone else is, someone else in this room, someone else in your life. I would encourage you, man, be there for them, to love them and serve them. That's, that's why... And Bren did not tell me to say this, but I would encourage you, if you're not in a gospel community, man, consider getting in one. Some sort of group like that where you can live life together and help each other know more and more of who God is and help trust him through whatever comes your way. I want to end just reading a couple verses from Psalm 56 that I think are fitting. Psalm 56 says this, When I am afraid... I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? 
you have kept count of my tossings. You know those nights you just you can't sleep. You've kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. Let's pray. Lord, oh, thank you that that is the truth, that you are for us, you care more than we could ever know. You demonstrated it on the cross. You demonstrated it that day on the sea, but we have even more reason to hope, to put our trust in you, to have uh, peace even in the midst of the storm, because you're with us, you're in the boat, so to speak. You're right there. You care deeply And I just thank you for that. Would you continually help us to remind each other of that, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen.